your Bibles to Matthew 21, verse 32 through 46. So, this is a passage. Jesus is responding to the question um, that the <clears throat> chief priests, the elders of the um, Jewish nation have given to Jesus. By what authority are you doing these things? So Jesus is now giving a the second of three parables um, explaining to them about his authority. So let's read. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a vineyard, uh, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew he was talking about them, and they looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your authority. Thank you for the fact that heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never pass away. Thank you that we have something solid, a rock to stand on in a world that is crumbling. Thank you for hope. Thank you for explaining to us that you are indeed the ultimate authority. And so wherever you find us this morning questioning your authority, we might be attentive to bow the knee, not to look for a way to get rid of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so parable of the tenant. It's a response to the question that Jesus had been asked regarding his authority. By what authority are you doing this? 
And I guess we could ask the same question about you, you and I. We have been entrusted with a certain amount of authority. Whether you're a father, you've been given authority. A mother, you've been given authority. Um, if you're in government, you've probably given authority. If you're an officer, you've been given authority. Um, wherever you are, you've been given a certain amount of authority. And when we're children, we want to get up, grow up, so that we no longer have to be under authority. We can set our own authority, right? Only to find out that we never get out from under authority. And here we have the chief priests, the rulers of the synagogue, and they are threatened by Jesus taking over the authority. And they know that. Jesus is challenging them. Remember what he's just got through doing? Well, let's look at this. This is the second of three parables Jesus uses to respond to the chief priests and the elders who came with indignation to ask him about his authority and right to upset and challenge their procedures at the temple. He has just made a big scene by driving out the money changers and merchants and saying that this was his father's house, which was meant to be used for prayer. Now, this would have been a huge dent in their economic well-being, wouldn't it? Throwing out the money changers and all these guys who are selling doves and sheep and stuff. And <clears throat> and it was an uncomfortable exposure of their own use of authority as leaders and representatives of God himself. They weren't accustomed to such a bold confrontation and their self-promoting practices, so they came to rein in this insubordination by asking him, who do you think you are? Show us your credentials. We're in charge here. You're on our turf. And so Jesus asked them another question. He said, if you answer this question, I'll answer your question. And they didn't want to answer that question because Jesus asked them, I'll tell you what, John's authority, where did it come from? John's baptism, where did it come from? And they said, who? If we say... From heaven, he's going to say, why didn't you believe him? And if we say, from earth, the people will stone us because they believe he was a prophet. He was sent from God. And so they came up with this play the ignorant card, right? And they said, uh, we don't know. That's very convenient when you put on the spot. To which Jesus replied, neither will I tell you what authority I, by what authority I'm doing these things. And it would seem that the conversation was at an impasse and was over, but Jesus goes on and in a veiled and yet not so veiled way really does answer their question about his authority as well as where they stood in rejecting him. Now this whole scene and interrogation regarding Jesus' authority is quite ludicrous and defiant when you consider who they're asking this of. John says of Jesus, he made the world and all that is in it. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Hmm. By what authority are you doing this, Jesus? Paul said the same thing in Colossians. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and in earth, visible, invisible, Get this, whether they're thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, 
all things were created by him and for him. This is the same person whose authority they had seen heal a paralytic and told that his sins were forgiven. This is the same one who told a dead man they had seen him do this, told the dead man to come up out of the tomb. This is the same one who told the wind to be still. The same one who walked on water. This is the same one who made fed 5,000 plus people out of five loaves and two fish. This is the one who would soon rise from the grave and tell his disciples what? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Can you imagine Jesus being asked to show his ID after all that they had seen? No wonder Jesus doesn't bother to answer them and says, I want to answer you. He could also have said, would any of you like to go toe-to-toe with me? Yet, as seen in each of these parables that he gives, his patience and appeal for a rightful and logical response by the people to his position of authority is gracious, but it's firm. We like the gracious part, but we need to realize he's firm in who he is. So we've been seeing an ever-increasing tension in defensiveness and the offensiveness of the elders and chief priests toward Jesus and his teaching. Jesus is firm and clear in his declaration of who he is, and they have been equally firm in repudiating his claim to the point of appearing foolish and irrational. There's a proverb, Proverb 29.1, that says, He who is often reproved and hardens his heart will suddenly be cut off, and that without remedy. And they were at that point. I was reading this in Spanish this week, and the word for without remedy is sin remedio. If you know Spanish, remedio is used interchangeably with medicine. There's no medicine. Without remedy. But we talk about that. What's the remedy for this? What's the remedy for that? In a medical sense as well. So, The idea is that this persistence in stubbornness has no cure, no remedy, no solution, no fix. Yet we continue to want a remedy without repentance, a cure without a consequence, an alternative without an absolute. There is no such thing. If Christ is not who he said he is, If he is not the one in absolute authority over all, then we must live with the results of choosing our own authority, our own truth, and see how that goes for us. Folks, our city and nation is rampant with the evidence of no remedy and no authority. It would appear that this time has indeed come to pass for the elders and religious leaders in Israel. Notice some of these indications. He has just come riding to Jerusalem on a donkey, and the people had said, Hosanna 
to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These credentials shouted by the crowd really infuriated the religious leaders. And they demanded that Jesus rebuke the people for saying this. Jesus' response to them was, if they be quiet, these stones will cry out. Then as they approached the city, Jesus did something very unusual. It says in Luke that he cried. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring peace, and then doesn't go on. He just says, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Remember Salem? Melchizedek was the king of Salem. Prince, the king of peace, the city of peace. And so he cries out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you'd only known at this time would have brought you peace. At this time, I'm coming in You're saying no. There was something ominous about that precise moment. But now. There comes a tipping point when the pendulum can no longer be in your favor. And Jesus just declared that moment had come. Then there was the driving out of the money changers and their merchandise. And the cursing of the fig tree. Which is so figurative of the Jewish nation. I am reminded of God's patience running out in Genesis chapter 6. When he said, my spirit will not always contend with men. My spirit will not contend with men forever. And then came the flood. Well, we don't like talking about the reality of God's limited patience and forbearance. But God talks about it often and warns us not to go there. His authority is not to be trifled with. Romans 1.24 says, therefore God did something about people who wanted to exchange the truth of God for a lie. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires to their hearts to to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth. We're in a time when we are exchanging the truth. We are exchanging the truth for a lie. Hebrews 6 says this, about something that's impossible. It's impossible for those who have once been enlightened. Jesus had come into Jerusalem. He had proved his identity over and over and over. They had been enlightened. It's impossible for those who have once been enlightened if they fall away to be brought back to repentance. Again, he says a little bit later in Hebrews, if we, are, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, No sacrifice, no remedio, no remedy for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment. And so Jesus does give the judgment right in that passage when he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I mean, they're going to come in and they're going to wipe you out. What is it that we should expect from disregarding God and the authority of his word and truth. 
What is it that we can expect to see in our nation, in our families, in our church, when we spurn his authority? To the church of Ephesus, he says, if you don't repent, I will remove your candlestick, your lampstand. To the Laodicean church, he says, I would spit you out. And now in this parable, they're going to hear something that they never would have expected to hear. In fact, they unwittingly endorse God's judgment upon themselves. So, there's three parables. They're unique and yet they're similar. A father, a landowner, and a king. Last week we talked about the father with two sons. Remember that? And the father gave it instruction. Do this. And one son said, sure. And he didn't do it. And the other one said, nope, ain't going to do it. Later, he changed his mind. He repented. And he did. And then Jesus said, well, which one did what the Father wanted? And he said, well, I guess it was the guy who did it. And he said, yeah. By the way, he says, you who are the ones who claim you're going to do what the Father says are sitting outside. And the tax collectors and the harlots are going into the kingdom of God in front of you. And that didn't go over too good with them, I'm sure. They knew he was talking about them. So in each of these, Jesus is explaining his authority. So we have a father. That is one aspect of authority. A father has authority. Children, obey your father. Because this is wrong. I mean, it's right. right? A landowner is one we're doing now. He is an owner. He's a landowner. And so the owner has authority. And then the third one, next week we'll look at, is as a king. We're talking a lot about the king coming in, his kingdom. And so he talks about another one who has authority. Isaiah 1 has an interesting passage. Isaiah chapter 1 kind of brings these two of these together when he says this. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children. And brought them up. But they have rebelled against me. Here's the one about ownership. The ox knows his master. The donkey his owner's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation. A people loaded with guilt. A brood of evildoers. Children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel. And turned their backs on him. And so that's the scenario. That's the context of where this this uh, parable comes. So let's let's look at the uh, parable itself. So we see a, kind of a breakdown here of the passage. The one in authority, verses 32 through 34, when the owner came. The ones under authority, the tenants, he rented it out to them, expecting them to do something with it. They were under his authority. And then there's the accountability to authority because all authority has an accountability factor in it. He sent his servants to the tenants to collect. Verses 40 to 44. And then the guilt of opposing authority. They knew, they looked, and they were afraid. So let's look at these. First one, the one in authority. So there's a purchase Notice what it says. He purchased. 
there was a land there was a land owner he had to have purchased it and he planted a vineyard there's a purchase there's a planting and he put a wall around it there's a procedure which he goes through he put a wall around it he dug a wine press so he's looking for protection the wall the wall is so important it is the boundary isn't it what's the first thing you do when you buy a piece of property you want to see the is that marked out? Is that surveyed? Do you have the exact boundary? Because I want everybody to know where the boundary is, what belongs to me, and what doesn't belong to them. And so there's a wall. It's protection. It's identification. It's a boundary. And then there is a production. He dug a wine press. He's intending to do something with this vineyard, isn't he? And then there's an observation. He builds a watchtower to oversee it. Make sure everything's okay. And then last of all, there's a produce. There's a harvest time. Isaiah 5, again, back to Isaiah. It's almost identical to what uh, what we read here. Mike read this last time. I will sing for you, I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up, cleared its stones, planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well, just like this guy. Then he looked for a crop. This is the production, the harvest of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. And so let's look just a little bit at the issue of the owner, a purchase. There's a legitimacy of authority that comes from the recognition of ownership, isn't there? Someone comes and messes with your car, (laughs) you know, hey, that's mine, what are you doing? Right? I own that thing, that's mine. Um, They're my kids, they're my house, they're my, whatever. There's There's the issue of authority, isn't there? I think of Isaiah one where it says the ox knows its maker. The donkey knows its owner. But you don't recognize this. And in our nation, we're not recognizing who the owner is. Let me read some verses. Psalm fifty twelve says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is an accident. The world is mine. And all The sea is his, Psalms 95, for he made it that gives him ownership, and his hands formed the dry ground. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. Why? Because he founded it, he made it, founded upon the seas. And so it's interesting when John says in John 1, 11, it says he came to his own. Yes, they were Jews. I understand that part. But he came to his own in the fact that he owned them. But his own did not receive him. And here he is before Jerusalem. I like 1 Corinthians, you are not your own bought at a price. You can be sure of one thing. Evolution is not 
just a theory. It's about authority. Who made it? Who owns it? Who says what goes on? Gender confusion is about authority. Abortion rights is about authority. Who gave you this authority? And we still ask the same question that those who were supposed to know better asked. So let's look at the ones under authority. The rights of a contract. Notice there was a contract. There was a deal. He rented it out to these guys. One of the things about being under authority is there are privileges, aren't there, in a contract. Can you imagine these guys going in and out of that place? Anybody come to them and say, hey, what are you doing here? They could show. No. We are the rightful tenants. They go into the city. They, oh, they're, they're John's farm, you know. That's okay. You sell them whatever they want to do. Listen to them. If they tell you, get out, get out. There is a certain right to being under authority. There was privilege. There was access. There were benefits. And they were given authority. Remember Jesus talking to <coughs> the centurion? And the centurion said, just give the word, you know. He says, I too am a man under authority. Was that great? You bet it was. I mean, people jumped when he said something. He was a centurion. And he was under authority. And so he says, I can tell one guy, go do this, jump in the lake, whatever you want to do. There, do it. Because I am under authority. What happens when you get out of authority? It's interesting in Jude 6, it says, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority. Remember when the angels rebelled? Lucifer took a third of them with him. They lost the privilege. They lost something. They didn't keep their position of authority. So there is great benefit in being under the authority of the Lord. And when we get out from it, we suffer the consequences. So there's a responsibility of a tenant. They were to collect the fruit. They were to be about the master's business. Then there's a reminders of authority. Remember what it says? That the, says the, uh, the landowner sent. The harvest time approached. He sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servant. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. He sent others. What do you think they thought every time they saw these guys coming down the road? Oh, no. Oh, no. Not again. Why? It was a reminder. A reminder. They were on his turf. They were usurping his authority. And so they mistreated, they mistreated, because they want the authority to leave. And then, of course, the last one he sent says he had one left to send. They said they will respect. He said they will respect my son. Did they? Do we? 
Romans 8.32 says he did not spare his son, but sent him to a bunch of rebels. And what did we do? We did exactly what these rebels did. Reckonings of a rebel. They recognized something when they saw him. They go, oh my God, who is that guy? They knew who it was. And they admitted it. They said it with their own mouth. They said, this is the heir. Hebrews 1 says he's the heir of all things. And then there was a resolution. What did they decide to do? Let's kill him. And then what? We can take his place. We can become the owners. And they threw him out and killed him. This is exactly what they did to Jesus, folks. Hebrews 13 says that he was taken outside the city gate and killed. So that's the reckonings of a rebel. Well, does that change matters? Oh, I guess we just lost the whole thing. No, the one who has absolute authority. It doesn't, it doesn't go that way. Because there's an inevitable return. It says when the owner comes. It doesn't say if he's going to come. It says when he comes. And Jesus is coming back. God is going to take back his ownership of this world. An inevitable return. When the owner comes back. There's a forfeited privilege will bring these wretches to a wretched end and he will rent it out to others. They will be displaced. They will be replaced. And in the Mark and the Luke passage, they say, may it never be. But it was. It took place. An obvious oversight. Have you never read? This is a really slap in the face to these leaders. This psalm is the very psalm that they were going to be singing at the Passover. I read this from Greg, uh, from uh, Dave Locke, Block in his treatise of this passage. This was the very song that they would be singing at the time of sacrifice. Have you never read the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone the Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. That is a significant error to have something that was rejected, that they rejected, become the thing that was chosen. I mean, can you imagine that? that that's, that's just like, ah, oh, oops, we did the wrong thing. We got rid of him. It was the stone they rejected. It became the capstone, the cornerstone, the most important stone. Everything fit on that stone. Jesus is the foundation. And they just threw it out. That is a big error. There's a recognized wonder. It is marvelous in our eyes. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 
because this comes up again. Peter says this. Remember Peter? He was pretty acquainted with stones. Upon this rock, you are Peter. And he says this in chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, You ever wondered why the name of the Lord is used as a swear word? Who taught people to do that? Why is Jesus' name a swear word? Rejected by men. It's a sign of authority that we don't like. He's rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to become a holy priesthood. The holy priesthood taken from these guys and given to somebody else. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him, not rebels against it, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is what? Precious, marvelous, glorious, awesome, incredible. This is marvelous. In our sight. And a lot of people don't think so. But in our sight, that is awesome. And then there's a universal experience. He who falls on this stone. Look at that. Look at those words. He who falls on this stone. You're walking along and kapoom, you fall. You trip over something. I think we've all tripped over Jesus, haven't we? We're walking along, we're doing our own thing, and all of a sudden, whoo, we're on a... What happened? This Jesus thing. Who is he? He's a stumbling stone. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. I don't think there's any of us that come to Jesus that aren't broken to pieces. If you're not, something's wrong. There is something to repent of. There is something to weep over. There is something to be broken over. Isaiah 6 said, when I saw the Lord high and lifted up, Isaiah said this, He didn't say, whoopee. He said, woe is me. I am broken. I am undone. And that's the brokenness. That's beautiful. To come back to the one who has all authority. And say, yes, you're right. I was wrong. I repent. But for those who rebel... Look at Revelation 6.16. It it says they cry out when they see the Lamb. They say, they cry out to the mountains and the rocks. And they say, fall on us and hide us from the face of the Lamb. Is that a crushing? Would you like a call on the mountain, Mount Rainier, come follow me? I would prefer that to him. Crushing me. 
This is a universal experience. Everyone, everyone who falls on that stone will have this experience. You'll be broken. And if you don't, and you prefer the other, rebellion, you'll be crushed. So finally, well, there's one more. The guilt of, of opposing authority. Notice what they say. They per, the perception of being addressed. They knew he was talking about them. I don't know what's come through your mind as we've gone through this passage. Is God talking to you? Is there areas that you're saying, who gave you this authority? They knew he was talking about them. There's a persistence in silencing the truth. Silencing the truth. They looked for a way to arrest him. And when Stephen gives his address to the same group, it says they shut their ears and they shouted as loud as they could. They took him off and stoned him. They persisted in silencing the truth. And then there's the predicament of his constituents. They were afraid of the crowd who held him to be a prophet. Finally, here's some concluding thoughts. I think of another man who was often reproved and hardened his heart. Pharaoh seemed to have often voice our own concern when he says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Remember the story? Unfortunately, he was a slow learner. And he was often reproved. Ten plagues to wipe him out. And he was equally often hardened in his heart. There is no remedy to a resistant rebel heart. But there is a remedy to a repentant heart that bows the knee to the Lord's authority. It was this very last one. This son the father loved that took our sins and guilt on the cross. I wonder if you respect him. I wonder if you have been reconciled to him. Scripture says that if you don't do it now, every knee shall bow. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word again. Thank you for your authority. Thank you for the joy of being broken the privilege of getting it right the wonderful blessings of being under your authority Father we live in a world that has spurned it, that has usurped it we ask Lord that you would grant repentance to us as well as to others they might come to a knowledge of the truth and not exchange the truth for a lie. Not exchange your son for someone, something else. So thank you for your word today, your authority over us in Jesus' name. Amen.